pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this time and for this honor and the opportunity to come together as a church and to worship you. Father, now as you transition to your message, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. I pray for your Holy Spirit's presence to be here in, in our midst, and we invite you here in this place, God. Without you, God, everything we do is in vain. So, God, we invite your presence here. I pray, God, you open up the ears and the hearts of the audience to hear your voice, to hear the message that you have in store for us today. God, we come to you with humility. We come to you with, with an open heart, laying down of all of our burdens and all of our worries. We lay it at your feet, O oh God. We come to you broken, Father, asking you to heal us and to restore us today. Father, strengthen us today. Speak to us, Lord. We need you right now. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, in my prayer. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. Let's all sit and let's take a moment to greet our neighbors. Let's take a moment to say hello, give a big smile. Welcome. Nice to see you. How's everyone? How's everyone doing? Good? Okay, good. All right, let's um, make sure that we are praying for Harry. Uh, I was hoping that he could be here today, but uh, I don't think he's uh, doing too good even now. Uh, is he home, Jerry? Is he home now, or is he still at the hospital? Still in the hospital, okay. All right. Um, we'll talk more later in person, but uh, let's just keep our brothers and our sisters, our fellow members who are far away, let's keep them in our prayers. Uh, today, uh, let's start with the title. The title is called Flee Lust. Please turn to your neighbor and say, Flee Lust. And I'm going to be doing three different scriptures here. Uh, we're going to be doing one by one. one. But the first passage that we're going to start with is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It says this, and the key word here is flee. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So again, the key word here is flee. And let's go to Proverbs chapter 7. It's a little long, but we're going to read the whole thing. Let's follow along. I'm going to go ahead and read, starting from verse 1. The title is called Warning Against the Adulterous Women. Okay, now it says, My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. Just beautiful writing here. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as a dark of night set in, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in, her, in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face she said, Today I fulfill my vows. And I have food for my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you. And I found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. 
Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. She, he has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Here is a passage warning us to young people to be careful of the power and the seductive power of lust. On the site, fightthenewdrug.org, it says, today with the widespread accessibility of the internet and the pornification of mass media, porn is no longer taboo. In fact, now it's completely normalized and you're weird or crazy if you don't have a porn habit. A study done in 2008 found that 93% of boys and 62% of girls have been exposed to pornography in their early adolescent years. In 2016, which is not that long ago, on this one website, it said that their data could have filled 194 million USB sticks. If you took the USB sticks end to end, they wrap all around the moon. So just to give you some statistics, every second, 28,258 users are watching pornography on the internet. Every second. Think about it. Every second. $3,075.64 is being spent on pornography on the internet. 372 people are typing the word adult into a search engine every second. Again, every second. Every day. Every day, 37 videos are created only just in the U.S. alone. So imagine the world. Every day, 2.5 billion emails containing porn are sent or received. Every day, 28 million searches, queries related to pornography, 25% of total searches are generated. Every day, 116,000 queries related to child pornography are received. How online pornography, how it affects us right now as Americans, is about 200,000 Americans are classified as quote-unquote porn addicts. It's a drug. 40 million American people regularly visit porn sites. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure to pornography content through ads, pop-up ads, distracted links, or emails. One-third of porn viewers are women. So it's not just for the men, but for the women as well. So as Christians, the question is, what must we do in this day and age? Where number one, where pornography is so easily accessible. Number two, where the power of lust is so domineering in our lifetime. What must we do? The question is, what do we do? As a, as a Christian man, as a Christian woman, what do we do? The question is, what am I supposed to do in this world, in this time that I'm living in? The Bible, let's go back to the Bible. Let's look into what the Word of God says and what we must do. It says, let's go to 2 Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 22, it says this. The Bible tells us to flee. Turn to your neighbor and, say, and repeat the word after me. Say the word flee. flee. Flee the evil desires of youth. Meaning, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. I'll say it again. Run from anything 
that stimulates youthful lust. It's talking about lust. And it says pursue. The keyword here is pursue. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I said again, flee the evil desires of youth, meaning run from anything that stimulates youthful lust, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Point number one is this. Keep God's commands in your heart. Turn to your neighbor and say, keep God's commands, keep God's commands in, your heart. in your heart. The key here, guys, you cannot trust your heart. You know the saying, trust your heart, trust your gut, trust your feelings? No. Cancel that. As a Christian, do not trust your heart. It says your heart is deceitful beyond measure. It is beyond care who can trust. It's, do not trust your feelings. But the key is, as Christians, you need to lead your heart. You need to lead your feelings with the Word of God. It's always the Word of God. The Word of God is the key. You have to trust and stand on the Word of God. You have to study and memorize the Word of God because the Word of God is God. That's God's Word. Only through God can we overcome. You need to keep God's words, God's commands in your heart. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 7, focusing on verse 1 through 5. Let's go ahead and read. It says, My son, what does it say? Keep my words. And what? Store up my commands. Where? Within you. It's just beautiful language here. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. What does it mean, apple of your eye? That's the only focus that you have. What? The word of God. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. That's saying blood is thicker than water. Make it closer than your family. Make the word of God your best thing, your closest thing. You are my relative. You are my sister. The wisdom of God. And it says they will keep you. Wisdom of God and the word of God will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. Everything in this life is about ads, trying to seduce you with entice you with images and noises and music and the word of God will keep you from from being waywarded by the woman with their seductive words the fear of God the fear of the Lord Psalm 111 it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning meaning when it says beginning means the foundation so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom all who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So the word of God equals wisdom. If you want wisdom, study the word of God. Read the word of God. The Bible also says if anyone lacks wisdom, who lacks wisdom, does not have the fear of God. Right now, if you lack wisdom, you do not have fear of God. What do I mean fear of God? It's a fear of God. It's a reverence to God. It's, it's the reverence that you know and that you show to God that when you sin, that you have grieved God's heart. That it's a heart that has the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Meaning if you do not have the fear of God right now, as you're sitting here right now, if you don't have the fear of God in your life, you do not have wisdom. You are lacking wisdom. And if you do not have the word of God in your heart, you are lacking wisdom. And wisdom, according to Proverbs 7, according to the scripture, it says wisdom is everything. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts 
have good understanding, and to Him belong eternal praise. I'll tell you what wisdom is not. It's not this. It's not some quick fix that you can attain from a fortune teller, palm reader, on the street corner. You go and you try to seek wisdom. You Google it. You try to seek wisdom. That is not true wisdom. That's just some quick fix. True and genuine wisdom, it only comes from the Lord. And wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. Again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, meaning it's the foundation. It's the foundation of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belong eternal praise. So the question is, right now, if we lack wisdom, as Christians, if we lack wisdom, what must we do? The Bible is very simple. It's very clear. It says in James 1.5, it says, ask If you lack wisdom right now, and if you want wisdom as you're sitting in your seat, it says to ask. It says in James 1.5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what does it say? You should ask God. Ask Him. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it says it will be given to you. In Psalm 119, in verse 11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So you have to memorize the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. And study the word of God. So turn to your neighbor and say, keep God's commands in your heart. Hide his word in your heart. Study his word. Because his word, it will give you power. It will give you strength to overcome every temptation. Will you be perfect? Nope. Why? Because you live in the flesh. We live in this broken world. You will not be perfect. No one here is perfect. You will never be perfect. But there is always restoration and there is hope when you repent and you turn to God. And wisdom will give you that heart and that conviction to turn to God and to continue the fight. The devil wants to keep you guilty. The devil wants to keep you down. He will put guilt and shame in you. And that will keep you down. But God never brings guilt. God never brings shame. He brings conviction. And conviction leads to change. And change is meaning it's, it's a repentant life. It's a repentive life. You repent to God and you change your way. Number two, keep your eyes pure. Let's turn to our neighbor and look, at, look them in the eye and say, keep your eyes pure. Don't be creepy. Just, yeah. Then look at him and say, keep your eyes pure. Be- your beautiful eyes pure. No, stop. Okay. I'm talking about googly eyes. I'm talking about double-looking eyes. I'm talking about double-glancing eyes. When you're walking on the street, when you're waiting on the bus, when you're in the subway, you see a beautiful lady or a beautiful man, and somehow your eyes just double-look, and you keep looking, and you say things like, hey, I'm just looking. What is the big deal? What the big deal is, the Bible says, your eye is the lamp of your body. It says in Matthew 6, and we did a Bible study on this, Matthew 6, 22-23, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And later in that passage, it's talking about mammon versus God. It's talking about money or God. You cannot serve two masters, it says. And it focuses on money. But here, it's also talking about the sin, every sin that came with the fall. 
The power of money is strong. Yes, that's why it says you either serve God or you serve money. But let's talk about every sin that came with the fall with Adam and Eve. It says in Galatians chapter 5, what are some sins that came into this world? Galatians 5, 19 to 21, it says the acts of the flesh are obvious. It says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It says in Colossians 3, it goes on, 3, 5 to 6, it says, put to death, put to death, therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. What are the seven deadly sins? It's lust, it's on the screen, lust, gluttony, greed, laziness, wrath, meaning you hate someone, you hate towards someone, you want to repay someone back with evil, with evil intent, that's wrath, envy, and pride. So going back to the eye, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. Going back to the eye. Why is the eye important? It always begins with your eye. Men, ladies, listen to me. It's your eye. It says, one evening, in 2 Samuel 11, 2. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, what does it say? He saw, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. So it begins with the eye. Keep your eyes pure. Number three, which leads to point number three. Or else, or else you will act. Turn to your neighbor and say, you will act. Meaning you need to keep your actions pure. You need to keep your actions pure. It's not just what you see. Because what you see will lead you, it will entice your heart. It will entice your life to go ahead and act. And it says in 2 Samuel 11, 3 to 4, continuing on, in two verses, it says, And David sent, sent, it's an action where someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was a friend of David. It's his, it's his, co- it's his friend's wife. But he doesn't care. Then David sent, again, it's an action word messengers to get her she came to him and what he slept with her it was an action you have to understand that lust cannot be satisfied do you understand that you think you hunger for it you thirst for it you get it and it's an appetite that cannot be filled i'll say it again it's an appetite that cannot be consumed it cannot be filled you will never be satisfied with lust the more you feed it, the more you feel lust, the stronger the hold it will have in your life. The more you indulge in lust, the more you will crave lust. It's like a drug. You need a higher dose in order for you to get that same type of feeling. It's an unending cycle, a vicious cycle that will kill you at the end. The truth is, only Jesus can satisfy. Lust is an appetite that cannot be quenched. It cannot be satisfied. It cannot be filled. Only Jesus can satisfy that emptiness that you have. 
not a relationship, not in that sexual thing that we get into, but you can only be satisfied in God and God alone. Let's take a look at verse 6 to 10, going back to Proverbs 7. It says this, At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense, meaning he had no wisdom of God. He had no fear of God. Again, fear of God is what? The foundation of wisdom is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. He had no sense, just mindlessly like an animal walking around, going with his lustful desires, whatever. He was going down the street near her corner. Again, action. Walking along in the direction of her house. Action. The young man, he's putting his eyes into action. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. Her intentions were not pure. Again, she's a married woman. Her husband is gone. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stays at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner, she looks. Man, woman, watch your actions before it's too late. Have wisdom to know, and please do not act upon the sexual temptations that we all have. Once you open that door, once you open that door, it will, it will be nearly impossible for you to come back. Golly man, golly woman, be careful. Because once that door opens, it will destroy your walk with the Lord. It will continue. It's a cycle that will never end. To stop a man and a woman filled with lust is nearly impossible to stop. It's, you will have a better chance of stopping a truck coming at you than to stop someone who is filled with lust, with the intent of acting, who is filled with lust, meaning it's nearly impossible. So what is the final result of lust? And final point number four is this. The final result of lust is death. Turn to your neighbor and say, the final result of lust is death. Call them by the call and be like, it's death. No, no, don't do that. Okay. James 1, 14 to 17, it says this. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. It says, then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. And it says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting Shadows, But the key part here is, but after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin with its full grown, it gives birth to death. The final result of lust is death. Let's go back to Proverbs 7. Let's take a read. We're continuing on, starting from verse 13 to 27. It says this. She took hold of him and kissed him. With a brazen face, she said, today I fulfill my vows. And I have food for my fellowship offering at home, so I came out to meet you. I looked for you, and I found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloe, cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse for with money and will not be home till full moon. 
With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her. Like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, like little knowing it will cost him his life. It will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to our ways or stray into our paths. Many, many, and this is true. We gave you the statistics earlier. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of, let's all say the word together. Ready? One, two, three. Death. 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 So in closing, God honors you when you flee lust. Turn to your neighbor and say, flee lust. In Genesis 37, uh, the perfect example, and I could not have this sermon without this individual. And I think a lot of us, we forget about this amazing man named Joseph, right? Like, what was his story? He gets wrongly, uh, well, not, well, that's later, but his brothers hate him, right? He, like, shows off his dreams, and they sell him into slavery. And, and he goes into Potiphar's house, captain of the guards. And we see him being so favored by God because he honors God and he doesn't follow the desires of his youth. Meaning, what we can learn from Genesis 37 all the way leading up to Genesis 40, Genesis 39, leading up with the story of Joseph, that when we flee lust, God honors. God will honor you when you flee lust. The world may honor lust, but you godly man and woman, you must not honor lust. Always pursue something better which is Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy your longing and your desire. John Piper said it like this, you must direct your attention to some superior promise, which is the promise of Jesus. Jesus is better, and Jesus is enough. Again, going back to the story of Joseph, he gets sold for 20 shekels. Shekel is, according to Leviticus, 20 is like equivalent to a man, a person's worth. Woman, I think, is like 10 and it says 30, 40, I can't remember exactly, but for the price of a person, Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers. It says, meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, meaning the captain of the guard. So Joseph, he goes into this family, this Potiphar's family, and it says, and we learn in the story, if you keep reading in that chapter, leading up to chapter 39, that you see Joseph, he gets favored by God. Meaning God puts him in charge of everything. Everything that he touches, there's success. But the key here is that during his work and his obedience to God, there was something else that was after his life. It was lust. It says Potiphar's wife, it lust, she lusted after Joseph. So let me go ahead and read in chapter 39 what happens in the story. So it's, it says Joseph and Potiphar's wife. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. 
From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph, he was well-built and handsome. Well-built and handsome. So after a while, and Ronnie's like, that's like me. Well-built and handsome. Nope. And after a while, his, I'm just kidding, Ronnie. You're, you're handsome. And after a while, his wife's masters took notice of Joseph. Remember, we talked about Ronnie being a handsome guy. Ronnie took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But what does he do? He says in verse, in verse 8, he says, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife, take a look at the attitude of Joseph. How then could I do such a wicked thing? And what? Not so that his reputation is ruined, but what? And sin against God. His concern was for God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, Day after day, just like the story of Jonadab and Amnon, right? Morning after morning, right? He got so sick because he was thinking about his sister. Day after day, she spoke to Joseph day after day. But the difference here is that she spoke to him, but Joseph, he was listening to God and he was speaking to God and God alone. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her, meaning he kept rejecting. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the story. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. What nonsense here, right? Joseph does the right thing, gets wrongly accused. What happens as a result of this false accusation? Joseph gets wrongly accused, and he goes to prison. And in prison, God's favor is still with Joseph. Again, his situation changed, his circumstance changed, but Joseph never changed. His unyielding faith in God. The warden, he places Joseph in charge of all the prisoners, as God permits. It says, whatever Joseph did, God gave Joseph success. And while he was in charge of the prison, it says the cupbearer and then the baker came from prison. We don't know why, but I guess Pharaoh was having a bad day. He's like, ah, you guys are going to prison. So they went to prison. We don't know why. They don't even have a name. They're placed under Joseph's care. It says they both have dreams. And then Joseph, because he is able to interpret the dream because he speaks to God, he says, oh, tell me. I can interpret the dream for you. And he interprets the, the dream of the cupbearer, and then the cupbearer dream is good, Right? And then the baker's like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Hey, interpret mine too. And then he does it, and then he's like, oh, I'm sorry, but you're going to die in three days. So, you know, and, but he tells, he tells the cupbearer to remember me that when you get restored into your position. But what happens? This cupbearer, he forgets. 
It says the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, and he forgot him for two full years. And what I love about that passage is how often do people forget you? Too often than not. Therefore, you must always know that God never forgets about you, even when you're in prison, even when you're wrongly accused, even when you're wrongly treated, that God never forgets about his beloved, which is you. And then as two years pass, Pharaoh has two disturbing dreams, uh, one with the cow, one with the grain. It's about the doom and the fall of Egypt, seven years of prosperity, seven years of famine. And then Cupbearer's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Joseph, and he's, he remembers two years later, it's kind of like Dan. It's like, oh, yeah, it's something with Dan. With oh, I forgot. And, and then he says, oh, it's called Joseph. And Joseph comes, he interprets the dream. And then he says, it says here in the story that Pharaoh places Joseph in charge, meaning he goes from a slave to the second most powerful individual in the world. Think about that. Because God's favor is with him. And also he has integrity to not, like the Proverbs 7, pursues the desires of lust as young people are so prone to do. But he honored God in his sexual sin. He honored God. Men and women of God. Men and women of God. When we flee the desires of lust, God honors. They say, what is the big deal about having sex before marriage, doing these things? What does it matter? The world says it's okay. Everyone else does it anyway. As long as you do protection, it's fine. I'm in a relationship. As long as I do it with one individual, I'm in a relationship, it's okay. But the Bible is very clear that we must flee the evil desires of youth. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust and pursue what? Righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with all with those who call on the Lord out of pure heart. You need to call on the Lord with a pure heart. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sin a person commit are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And the key word here is flee. And again, the next key word is pursue. Pursue God. And ending with this last scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. We've done this with discipleship group. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. What is God's will for you? God's will for you is not for you to get the dream job or for you to get to the a dream school or, or, or that dream thing that you want. But God's will is this, that you should be what? Sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. Sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable to God. Not in, not in passion or lust like the pagans who do not know God. Again, the reference for that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. What is God's will for you? Sanctify. You should, be, you should avoid sexual immorality. To control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable to God. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Do you know God? Then you need to have wisdom. Then you need to have the fear of God. For the fear of God is the beginning, is the foundation of wisdom. You honor God and you live for God.
If you could close your eyes with me. Just with our eyes closed. I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture for us so that we can meditate and we can hear the word of God, what the Bible says in our fight against, against sin, especially this power of lust. Again, the title is called Flee Lust. And with that, let's go back to the word of God and let's finish with the word of God. So 2 Timothy 2, 2, 22. Flee the evil desires of youth. Run from anything that stimulates you for lust and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee from sexual immorality. Flee. 1 Thessalonians 4.3-5 It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passion or lust, like the pagans who do not know God. The question is, do you know God? If you know God, then we must have the fear of God. For that is wisdom. That is a foundation of wisdom and the word of God. We must study it. We must memorize it. We must hide the word of God into our hearts. We must allow the word of God to strengthen us and to empower us. Some of us have been in this defeated path in our battle and our fight against lust. And you've been so disappointed, discouraged. Will this ever end? The answer is no. Why? Because you live in the flesh. But the key here is that you must be sanctified every single day. The key here is you love Jesus more you did today than you did yesterday. The key here is that you hate sin today more than you you love sin yesterday. The key is it's it's about maturity. Perfection doesn't mean you keep a perfect record. It means even though you fall, you fall and you will. But you get right back up. You fight the good fight. We are not perfect people. That is why we need a savior. We need someone to rescue us because we are bound by this flesh and we are weak in our flesh. When we are left to ourselves, we cannot save ourselves. You cannot save yourself from discipline against sin, against against lust. You cannot. But you need to pursue God every single day. You need to be sanctified in his word and be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, his perfect will for you. We're so caught up in reputation. We're so caught up in looking good in front of people about the way we dress or how we look, how many friends we have, how many followers we have. But you're forgetting one thing, your relationship with Jesus Christ. When you have a true, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, everything, all that is secondary. None of that matters. I'm not saying it's not okay to have friends. I'm not saying it's bad to be popular. But if that's what you're pursuing, and if you're trying to fulfill yourself from relationship to relationship, if you're trying to fill yourself with lust, you're in a defeated battle. It's an appetite that cannot be filled, quenched, and you will lose, and you will always lose. And in the end, the final result, the final result of sin, it gives birth to death. And that is the path that we're on. We need to check ourselves right now. Man and woman of God, we need to check ourselves. 
this is a message for me as much as it's a message for you. It's a message for all of us. It's killing and destroying relationships, marriages, friendships, trust between spouses. It's killing the heart of the young men and women of this generation. It's becoming, it's, it's becoming so normalized that the devil is using this tool to destroy agape love of God you need to pursue something that is better which is Jesus Christ Jesus Christ can truly satisfy only Jesus Christ can satisfy your life the power of the cross can only free you from the power of sin Jesus died Jesus died so that you can have new life in him to be free from the bondage of sin from the power of lust right now as you're sitting in your seat You need to look to Him. You need to look to God. Only Jesus can save you. Only the power of the cross can save you. Only the power of the cross can save you today. So right now with our eyes closed, can we just place our right hand to the left side of our chest, our heart representing our life. Let's ask God for a new heart. Let's ask God for a heart transplant to make our desires his to make his desires our desires that our desires will not be filled with our fleshly desires with our with our sinful nature but be filled with the word of God that we will hide God's word in our heart that when we are tempted that when we are attacked by the enemy that we will remain strong and steadfast as Joseph did as Joseph fled from the scene of lust Let us also flee, continue to flee this fight, this battle that we are all battling. Let's ask God for a new heart and a new desire and a heart that desires to a pure heart that will honor Him. Let's pray together. Father, we just pray right now, God, as a church, I pray, God, that the heart of this ministry be filled with your desires, God, that our heart will break. For what breaks yours, what breaks your heart, Lord, we need you right now. God, transform us. We cannot win this battle against lust, against our battle against sin, on our, on our own, by myself. I am too weak, God. I fall short in so many ways. God, I pretend to be holy. I pretend to be righteous, God, when inside. God, I am dying. God, I am losing this battle, Father. God, no more pretending. No more acting. Father, we are all struggling.
desires of our youth, our lustful desires, pursue righteousness.
Father, thank you for the cross, the mighty cross, that God himself should die for such as me, such as us. And every day, God, I am changed. We are changed into your image more and more. And yes, by the cross, I've been transformed. We've been truly transformed. Father, thank you for the testimony of our church and the testimony of our own lives. Even though we are not perfect people, God, we strive after you to study your word and to know you. And the more we study you, the more we are amazed. And we have no words to describe, God, just how amazing, how powerful you are. The more we get to know you, the more of you and less of me and how small I really am and how big and amazing and how powerful you truly are, God. I cannot save myself. I can only be saved by a Savior, and which is you, God. Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. That's such a cost, God, of your one and only Son. God, the cost of your Son, Jesus Christ, for his life, for my life. Thank you, Lord, for our lives, for this life that we have, this hope that we have. Thank you. Thank you. Forgive us, God. So many times we forget. We easily forget in our journey during our week. We forget the truth of who you are and the amazing thing that you did on the cross. Help us to never forget and to be reminded every day to come back to you, to follow you with a pure heart, oh God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We give all glory to you. Pray all these things in your precious son, Jesus Christ, in my prayer. And God's people pray. Amen.